Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and special guest star Brian. Hello. Good Howdy to be Brian. back. Excellent. Great to have you. Episode, two six, <laughs> episode 265 recorded April 4th, 2017. So as promised, today we get to finish up Star Trek Next Generation Intelligence Gathering by IDW. Yes. And Brian gets to join us this time. Great. Yahoo. Yes. You'll be doing the oh. uh, you'll be doing the finale issue at the end. I will. Excellent. I will. I am I am prepared. Wrapping it all up. So so last week we talked about how the first two issues really seemed like complete standalone issues that had no bearing, no connectivity at all. That's right. I thought it was very episodic and it surprised me because it, I, I picked it up and said and I read all five of them tonight and I was like Oh, this is not one story. This is like watching episodes of the show. Right. Um, that's what it felt in the beginning. Right. But they were messing with us. Yes, the Tipton brothers, they were messing with us. I was excited when I heard this was the Tipton brothers because I have been, uh, they're perhaps my favorite Star Trek comic book authors. They're really good. Yeah. They've so many little really Easter eggs, so many little sto- like little references that, you know, if you miss them, it's not a big deal to the story. It doesn't slow it down. But if you know them, it's like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they remind me of uh, Peter David back when he was doing the DC run, where he would just throw a little a line here and there. Yes! So if you knew good, what he was a... talking about, you're like, hey, hey I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you didn't, it didn't hinder the story at all that he was telling. That's right. true. Yeah. Yes. Good point. Yeah. It's always good when you, you've got authors that really know their trek. Yeah. And can and do, can do it in a way where it doesn't seem like, hey, hey, I Googled this and I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. Where right. it's they, kind of organic where it just comes up in a conversation. Uh like like in this one. You know, they're talking about something that kind of happened before and they actually remembered it, which they never remember things on next generation because <laughs> you always have that reset button at the end. <laughs> but here they can actually reference, you know, hey this is this is a little something like this. Which I yeah, liked. Yeah. I liked a lot. So that being said, Ken, do you want to start us off with um, issue number three? Please. Yes. I get to tee off with Chasing Shadows. Published, well, the collection published date is August 2008. Okay, so all the people are pretty much the same, but this is the first uh, issue for this episode. So let me go over them. Writer Scott and David Tipton. Art, David Messina. Colors, Ilaroya Traversi. Neil Yataki and Chris Mari do the lettering. Collection designed by Neil Yataki and Chris Mari. Editors Andrew Sagan and Denton J. Tipton. Collection edits by Justin Isinger. And really, there's a lot of different people involved in this because it was done as a collection and then it was done as individual issues. So there might have been a few people on the individual ones I might not have gotten in there. Apologies if I missed anybody. 
Covers, multiple covers. The main cover features a head and shoulders drawing of Picard with a smaller full-size Geordi to Picard's right. Enterprise D is above them both. This cover is by David Messina. Cover B features Geordi and Miles O'Brien working their engineering magic in what appears to be a large Jeffries tube. But who knows? Miles is equipped with a pad of some kind and Geordi with a sonic screwdriver. Cover by Joe Caroni. Limited edition variant cover is the same cover as the B cover with Miles and Geordi, but with no text or publisher logos. And again, Joe Caroni. The Enterprise has put into Federation Starbase 215. They are turning over the Romulan spies Riker and Data caught at the Daystrom 1 archive facility. They are also having some minor repair work done on the Enterprise. After transporting the prisoners and Worf to the starbase, Geordi makes the observation that Chief O'Brien should get out of the transporter room once in a while. O'Brien is not gushing with glee over the idea. Not long after departing the space station, they receive a Priority One distress call from the Excelsior-class ship named the Jackson. When they arrive, they find the Jackson's captain thinks there is something very wrong with their chief engineer because the chief engineer thinks there's something seriously wrong with the ship but they can't find anything wrong. Picard goes over to speak to the captain while Geordi and O'Brien transport over to speak with the chief engineer. The engineer claims he is seeing Mantlo waves in the antimatter stream which should not be happening in a relatively modern ship like the Jackson. Modern ships have been engineered specifically to avoid the Matelieu phenomenon, since it can lead to uh, warp core breaches. They try some experiments that finally trigger a Matelieu wave, which the computer instantly reports is going to breach the warp core in 15 minutes. They start evacuating the Jackson's crew over to the Enterprise, while the engineers try to stop the warp core containment breach. With time running out, the Jackson's chief engineer triangulates on the source of the containment problem and discovers a device roughly the size of a hockey puck that just made them think they were losing containment. The Jackson's engines and warp core are fine. Considering the Jackson probably picked up that device while at Starbase 215, they realize the same type of device may be on the Enterprise. And indeed, after a search, they find one, just like the one on the Jackson. Their device was programmed to activate on a different timing than the Jackson's. Picard wonders what kind of sabotage inflicts no damage on the two ships affected. Are they being manipulated somehow, perhaps led to somewhere specific? To be continued. Bum, 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 bum. Exactly. I know. This is a mystery. I mean, uh, uh, little devices that make it look like there's a warp core breach? Odd. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, they're trying to figure out why would somebody want to do that? Why would somebody put these on if they're not going to blow up our ship? Why do they want us to think that our ship is going to blow up? Which exactly. is a good question. Exactly. Now... Looking at the possible suspects, this doesn't sound like a Klingon thing, does it? Hmm. No, but it's not a Klingon thing. Well, but you don't know that yet. 
Ah. You don't know who did it. True. Or you think yeah, Donnie... I never suspected the Klingons. No, uh, process of elimination. You know, the old uh, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes thing. <laughs> right. So who could have done no. this? Hmm. Who, who yeah. would be uh, devious uh, and sneaky? Hmm. Right, right. That is That does fit, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you what my first thought was, um, and then we can tell, and then we can talk later if if, if I was right or not. But uh, while reading this issue, I was really thinking the only explanation I could think of was the Ferengi. I was like, all right, so they want everybody to jump out of the boat so that they can just swoop take in over the and, ship and take over the ship and fly away. Didn't and they do that already? They would, they would get not only the Enterprise but this Jackson by you know. Scaring everybody out of the ship. I thought it was. I thought it was actually a brilliant idea for Ferengi pirates. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Yeah, because in a real world scenario, I have heard that people will stand um, like on street corners with uh, a rat in their arms, and then when somebody yeah. drives by with a their windows down or their top down, if it's a convertible, they just throw the rat in there. People being people, they see a rat in their car, they just jump out of the car while it's running at the stoplight. And then they just jumped in and drove around with a rat in the car. <laughs> and that's I, all they steal a car with I a rat. Have, uh, <laughs> that is an interesting strategy there. I've never heard that before, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I heard that they, they were, somebody was doing it there for a while. I think they eventually did get caught. But uh, uh, <laughs> but I just thought that was brilliant. I was like, oh, you could just steal a car with a rat? That's amazing. <laughs> and then, so that's what I was thinking with this. I was like, oh, you just get everybody to leave, and then you could just – just jump on into the car and drive away. Or in this case, a uh, starship. Right. So that was my thought. I, I was leaning towards Ferengi. Cool. I think I was thinking Romulan, actually. Why yeah. um, Well, I, I had a feeling that, knowing the Tipton brothers, that they were going to bring things back around. Yeah. I just did. And um, I was, you know, by the end of this... Um, issue it's the first time it ends with a cliffhanger you know and so you're kind of like oh, okay this is going to be an ep- less than episodic story <laughs> um and so i was trying to think back to who else could it be and they just dropped those two off and you know just i don't exactly. know exactly i just you, got it that makes a lot of sense i was thinking somebody else who were you thinking i was thinking colonel hogan Oh. It's, it was a very complicated. <laughs> Sorry, it was a joke. I thought it was funny. Anyway, so I it's get it. <laughs> okay, so you haven't seen Hogan's Heroes? Well, not in the last forty years. No. Well, they always did the most complicated things uh, in the middle of World War II under the noses of the Germans, who right. of course were all comic book characters. Uh, and uh, I, I thought it was funny. Oh, well, it's just me. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, okay, when we get to the end of this, you will all see that this was quite an elaborate thing that happened here, and I just thought it just fit uh, Hogan's Heroes. Well, you will notice that I, I made it sound like I knew exactly what you were talking about. Oh, yeah, Hogan. <laughs> yeah, sure. sure, sure, I know that one. I know that episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but no, I I was I was thinking Romulus at this point too because it was like they fake you out 
by the. I mean, he said right there. I mean, a tomahawk, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I, okay, we're ruining it now. But anyway, so let's 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 find out what happens. You mean going on to the next episode? No, 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 oh. no. I, we have more comments. I'm just going to stop what I, I'm going to stop what I was saying. <laughs> hey, you know what? O'Brien looked was drawn horribly on page sixty-seven. <laughs> horribly, he often, but he's so jowly and he has no neck. It's like well, oh. and I, to be honest, with you, I wasn't all that impressed with the art style. I get that it's a stylized choice, but some, of, especially when they would show characters that were like really small, like you know, because they're like far away in the perspective, they look almost like glorified stick figures at yeah. different points. Yeah, they, like you know, no face, half a face, or yeah. it just ah, it just didn't do it for me. Everything was so angular, and Riker always looks pissed. Oh, <clears throat> in every in every one, you know. He, he, I don't know um, the art in this. I thought the story was pretty good, really good, and um, not just the story, but the storytelling. I'll get into that in a little bit, but um, I didn't. I wasn't as impressed with the art in this series. Well, what did you think about when uh, it was Picard? Every time he wasn't like right on the screen. Or right on the panel that uh, that it seemed like his hair was drawn in little dots, like a connect connect the dots type thing. Card doesn't have any hair. What are you talking well, about? His, his stubble line. I don't know what you would call it. A little on the side, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got a little yeah. on the side. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but but look at the like uh, maybe it's more in the the later issues, but there's some shots where it's like a really dark line that. That that's uh, that's outlining yeah. his hair, but it's in little hyphens. It so is, it looks, and and rather than hair, it looks like it's just more skin, where his hair should be. Oh, me. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yes, I get it. It's almost like he said skin grafts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, he's he's almost like that guy in uh, Empire Strikes Back in the Cloud City Bespin, but with a, a more mm-hmm. narrow to the head kind of thing around his head. Oh, you mean Lobot? Lobot. Is that his name? Okay. Yeah. Lobot. Yes, I, I knew that. Yes, Lobot. I, you know, as I look for it's not just Riker. Everybody is scowling all the time in yeah. this book. You know, I mean, like to the point where, it's, like, they just look like very unhappy people. I get that it's supposed to be drama and et cetera, but they're drawn consistently as these sort of That's a good dreary, dreary, you know, just every single... I'm, I'm looking at... Um, Sorry, issue five, because that's what I have here. But it's every single frame, they look grumpy and mean and <laughs> sad. You're right about that. You're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it as well. There you go. And then that one where Ro looks like she's a, a zombie or something. Oh, yeah. I wrote that exact word. I wrote Ro looks like a zombie. Yeah. Right? yeah. I don't remember Ro being in this issue. You're oh, jumping issues. Sorry, yeah, we are jumping. Well, we, raining we, in, you're, raining you're, in. Lo- you're looking at five, and so am I. I know what you're talking about. I know yeah. what you're talking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so no, but back to O'Brien. So Jolly uh, O'Brien. Yeah, he, he's he's Jolly he's O'Brien. <laughs> That's a good name. <laughs> um. But also, uh, I liked that he was going to have something to do with the story, but then he didn't really add anything to the story aside from being there. Wait, uh, Peter, well, I have a note on that. What I think is this is and maybe, maybe I don't know this is what the Tipton brothers were thinking, but when Jordy goes in, they hope tell me this is the right issue, and it's basically saying, you know, hey, you got to get out of here. You're always spending all your time in the in the transport room. You need to live a little and get out. 
thought yeah. they were trying to set it up that maybe this was um, sort of precursor to O'Brien leaving the Enterprise to take a new job on Deep Space Nine. That they were kind of making it seem because this is set in season five, mm-hmm. and um, I just thought maybe that was the whole thing was that it was just before O'Brien left. Right, but it would have been nice if they had them say it. I don't know. I thought that's what I like about the Tipter Brothers is they're more subtle than that. They don't always spell it out for you. It's not all on the nose. It gives you that little kind of, you know, maybe that's what they mean. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, what Plus, else, what else would Jordy be saying, you know, yeah, you look bored? <laughs> <laughs> well, another reason is that at the beginning when O'Brien, you know, was in the show and everything, he, he pretty much just, he was the transporter guy. That's yeah, yeah. pretty much the only place you ever saw him. He was a very well, secondary for the first character when he was on the ship on the bridge before Wesley took his spot. Yeah, he was. He was. He has had a red uniform back then. First season, right? Good point. Good point. I did not remember that at all. But he got a, in, the, he, in the gold outfit, but and, and he did get a, quite a storyline with you know Keiko and the baby, and that was all on the Enterprise. The the first baby was on the Enterprise. Yep, I couldn't remember. Molly, I think, was her name. Yeah, yeah, I think they they she was born on the Enterprise. Yeah. Now I always liked O'Brien, uh, and that's why I always hate it when he's in the comic books and they don't really do anything with him, and he always looks a little odd. For whatever mm. reason, they can never get him right. Yeah, but usually it's just because they draw too big a forehead or something. Yeah, this thing is the, oh my god! I mean, monster head. <laughs> Monster head, <laughs> his his throat. Jeez. Anyway, <laughs> but all right. Well, I got other notes. I got Go one for word it. for you. I got one word for you. What? And I don't know if it's him or just someone from his planet, but Eric. Oh, Rx. Oh, Rx. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we are three-legged Eric's. And, and again, I don't know. It could be just, you know, it's supposed to be, what, 80 years later. So it could be, you know, son of Eric's. Or <laughs> or, or maybe they have more than one person in his race. That's right. Right. You know, and I would, I don't, are you saying they all look alike? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I loved it. I just, when I saw him there, and again, subtle. He was just in like one or two frames, and or maybe even one, and that was it. So I love those kind of references. Yeah. Well, him being there obviously is the reason why we asked you to join us on this episode. Because <laughs> and we you know found it. You there you go. That's exactly right. the reason. I want to see a. I want to see it in a live action movie. Obviously, he would be CGI, but I want Eric's. Yeah. Why didn't they stick it? Why couldn't they do that into the the last one when they were coming up with? You know, fifty new aliens or whatever. There. Right, 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 right. That's a good point. Years. That's a good point. It, it would be weird to try and animate, but whatever. Yeah, you only have to animate that <clears> third <throat> arm. Yeah, it's true. Just have them sit down. Or you could have them do the the CG thing or the the fake the fake arm. I mean, <laughs> what the Jabba the Hut thing? Yeah, he's a puppet. puppet most of the time, and then when they when, he, <laughs> when you see him walk around, he's a horribly. Animated CGI <laughs> character. That was pretty early CGI, so give him a break. Yeah. <laughs> that scene wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for the the stepping on the tail thing. That's that's the part that that I'm like, you, you really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no yeah. Sense. 
Yeah, I, I, I can see what they were trying to do, and they had this old footage, and they were trying yeah. to, you know. But it wasn't that funny. No. <laughs> so this is the first. This is the first issue that's truly kind of like a two-parter because it ends on a very uh, boring note. <laughs> well, a, a very incomplete note. So usually, two-parters try to end on a not boring note. That's well, <laughs> but I mean. <laughs> I know, but what, the first issue, second issue, they seem kind of standalone. The Tiptons are throwing us off a bit with this stuff, this episodic kind of stuff. And this is the first issue that makes it clear, ah, we're getting into a multi-parter. Or, you know, this, this is a multi-parter. Right. right. So. It, ends with a, it ends with a cliffhanger-ish. Um, yeah. Now, wait a minute. This is one of the things that I liked, um, just from, this, from the uh, aspect of the storytelling when they they showed Picard talking to the captain about his new engineer mm-hmm. and the problems that they were having with him and how they really didn't, you know, it wasn't working out so well. And he was telling the story of, like, you were hearing the results from the captain's point of view, and he was basically complaining to, the, to Picard. Right. And then they would in- intersperse that back and forth with um, Geordi and O'Brien in the engineer's quarters and he was telling his side of the story and they were listening and trying to be you know really fair and so to me that was a really good dramatization of what happens in life when you have two people that have the same story but are seeing it from very different angles yep um and and i just i really appreciated the fact that there was that sort of slice of life thing because that happens all the time um yeah but usually not in star trek everything's kind of perfect everybody gets along at least right at the earlier uh, TV uh, properties. Well, and that's why I, I, that's what I was appreciating about it. Yeah. And um, yeah. so, you know, and the other thing that I thought was realistic was when the guy was clearly had found the thing and nobody was believing him. And he, it's a thing that happens in all sorts of jobs, basically. I know what happens in the different jobs I've had. And the, especially if there's a community aspect, somebody follows someone who is really well loved um, and now you have to work with those people. You now take the position of authority. They miss that person. You have to change things to make it the way that you do it, and they don't like you because you're not the other person. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what was happening here, and it's, to me that was just such a realistic... Um, they just portrayed that really, really well. So, you know, I'm reading a comic book, is there, and, and that's one of the reasons I like the Tipton brothers is because they are... They're just making it feel real, you know, without being boring. I liked it. Yeah. Agreed. There you go. That's my that's my two cents on that. So if you're looking at the PDF from Comicsology, uh-huh. um, or or I guess it's the graphic novel itself. So on page 58 of the graphic novel and 59, um, which I'm assuming when it's in the book, they these two pages are opposite each other. But mm-hmm. I liked how they did that, where the each each page is broken into three panels. The first panel. You know, has either Picard or Geordi talking to somebody, and then the next panel is that the other person they're talking to, the captain or the chief, and then the last panel is the. It's just the way it's 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 the exact same framing in all three panels, but uh, but for the two different sides of the story. So right. in what you were talking about, it's it was just really cool how they did it visually too. Just right, right. They're same story, two different points of view. Right. That's it. They're mirroring the. 
what's going on. Uh, yeah, I like it. I'm trying to figure out how to look at it now. I'm new to com- comicsology, um, so I can see those as a two-page spread. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, well, that's what I got for that for that app for that uh, issue. Cool. My last comment is that uh, I just wish I wish there was again. It was the O'Brien thing, you know. He's he says I would I would follow the captain just because. He's the captain, and that and that was whose side he was going to be on, but then he did say, "But we should probably still look into it." Um, I wish there was a little more context in there, and then I wish that there was more explanation as to why the captain did not believe him as much as he did. It just seemed that, you know, he's like, "I worked with these other guys for years, and and this guy only for eighteen months, so of course I'm going to side with these other guys that that know that he's wrong." Just seemed a little right. short, short-sighted on that captain's part, and uh, and then there's no resolution to that. He never makes amends with the uh, with the chief. There's no right. follow-up. Well, we don't they see just... it. Right, well, right. He did. Right. It would have just been nice to have a panel where he they hug, they hug a little bit. <laughs> maybe a, maybe a little noogie. That would a beer. Are fine. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy some synth hall together. Aye. Yeah, exactly. That would have been nice. All right. That's my last comment. You ready to move on? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Issue number four came out April of 2008. It has three covers. Uh, the first cover is by David Mencia. It uh, has a picture of Picard inside of a little bar, which was consistent with all the other issues. Um, and then in front of the bar, we see uh, Troy in her um, Starfleet uniform, not her weird cat suit thing. And then uh, the issue 4B, or cover B, uh, this is uh, Joe Caroni. Uh, and this one shows Roe in kind of a crouching position with a phaser. Crusher is behind her holding a rifle, phaser rifle, and then uh, Troy is behind her uh, firing a hand phaser. And then the third cover is the same as cover B, but just without the logo and uh, title. And the writing staff is the same, so we won't go through that again. So the story starts with Data and Picard speculating as to where these devices that were found on the Enterprise and Jackson came from and where could they possibly be leading them to since they were both designed to go off uh, when both ships were in a certain position or heading towards a certain place. Suddenly they are called to return to the bridge due to three incoming packlid ships. When the aliens are contacted, the dim-witted packlid captains claim that they're doing this for the glory of the Empire and they crash their ships into the Enterprise. The shields hold without any problem, and there's no damage done to the Enterprise, even though the three alien crafts are completely destroyed. Data is able to track their exhaust trails to a nearby planet. They soon arrive, and Troy is asked to beam down and lead an away team to try to find out how and why the Packlids were being mind-controlled to act against their better nature. Troy, Roe, and Crusher beam down with three security men. Soon after beaming, they request beam back up. And this time, only the three women return. 
they all seem to be brainwashed as well, and they knock out O'Brien, and they head off to the Battle Bridge. Soon, Riker, Data, and Worf arrive to the Battle Bridge and confront the three women. Roe is stunned with a phaser. Data is able to hold Crusher, and Riker is able to reach his Imzadi and break the connection with some smooth, smooth words. Later, another away team beams down to the surface and finds a Ferengi thought maker. Now that they know what they're battling, Dr. Salar is able to treat the three women. But the other three men that beam down are well beyond Dr. Salar's help. The body count is rising on this wild goose chase, and Picard is none too happy. With these clues from the mind thought maker, the warp core devices, and the pack lid ships, Data is able to pinpoint that the Karafi-Tib system is the source of all these adventures. Picard knows that it's going to be a trap, but he orders the Enterprise to head over there to investigate. To be concluded. I don't know about you guys, but I'm impressed with Picard. I mean, he is Charles Bronson in this thing at the end. He's taking the bull by the horns, and he's uh, turning the trap into an appointment. Oh, my God. Those are some brass balls on that man. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they gong yeah. when he walks. Wow. <laughs> he's certainly confident. Yes, he is. You know, he knows exactly what's going on, and, you know, I like it. I don't want to get ahead of myself, though, so I'm going to hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> So do, do they have to kill the three security guys? They are so red shirt. I know they're not literally red shirt, but they are red. I mean, that, that was a, a weakness for me. It was like six go down, three we don't know, three die. They're the ones we don't know. Yeah. Right. I had an issue with that. That's rather taws of them. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is it yeah. just felt, you know, and, and there was a lot of, so there, they, there's a lot of lovely nods too. Let me tell you. One of the things I liked, I'll try to say what I like as well as what I don't like, is one of the early shots is uh, Data and Picard in stellar cartography. Mm-hmm. And it's very evocative of the stellar cartography seen in Generations. Right, right. Uh, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess that would be the same ship. So We have to assume it was always there, even though we never saw it until Generations. Right, right. And that was on the Enterprise-D in Generations. So, yeah, I, I was thinking that they were trying to make it, you know, evocative of, but I'm not. They're actually drawing that thing. <laughs> um, right. So yeah. Anyway, I appreciate I appreciate that kind of like attention to detail. Right. Very nice. Attempts at continuity. Agreed. So this is the uh, zombie row that you were talking about when she's <laughs> attacking the, uh, the security guys. That you... Yeah, yes. she looks scary. She does. I had the same thought. I was like, I wrote it right down. Row zombie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't when you guys were talking about everybody being dour faced and things like that, um I didn't notice everybody else until you pointed it out, but Roe throughout the whole thing, she always looks angry. And I know that's part of her character, but you know, with but the way the ridges are drawn a lot of times it just looks like a scowl versus the nose ridges. Mm-hmm. And it got mm-hmm. me to wondering if, you know, Maybe they put the ridges on her nose to begin with uh, because that was going to be her character where she was going to be this scowling person anyways and that's the trait that they gave her on her uh, prosthetic. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if, if, it's, if 
I don't know. But it, but definitely in the book, she always looked angry. Yeah. Yeah. Yet another angry one. Ro, lighten up a bit. <laughs> I always liked Ro. That, that season where she was, you know, semi-regular, uh, I, I really enjoyed her character. Yeah. Wish they would have done more with her. Yeah. Well, wasn't yeah. she... Wasn't she teed up to be basically Kira in Deep Space yes. Nine? Right. Yes. But she, the actress was, didn't want to do it or something? Exactly. That's exactly it. That, was writ- that role was written for that character. Yeah. And that, was it that she didn't want to do it? I hadn't heard the reason why. I had heard that, that she, did, she wasn't interested in taking it on. Mm. She would be one of the lead characters in a, in a whole new series. I, right. I, yeah. I don't I know why she wouldn't want it. Yeah. I think a lot of those people I wonder if they would have brought O'Brien over if, if she would have come over because you know obviously O'Brien went over because they wanted a, they wanted some sort of connection to the Enterprise but but if, if she would have been the lead then they might not have needed O'Brien as well wow so maybe it all worked out for the best but they just kept doing that I mean they brought Worf over eventually uh, I, I think there was plenty of room for them to have both uh, crewmen come over. But, right, but do you think that was their original plan? I mean, they, Worf only came over because they were suffering in ratings and they knew that... Well, yeah, Worf, but... Well, would watch just because of Worf. Yeah, yeah I'm, I guess I'm just trying to say, I think they had plans of bringing over O'Brien and Roe originally, and it just didn't work out for Roe. Mm. Right. Yeah, and then she was going to be in Pegasus, the uh, the Battlestar Galactica spinoff that that didn't actually get made. Yeah, huh. but she was the the captain of the uh, the commander of the Pegasus, right? The but that movie was supposed to be a pilot for a new TV series, and it, and they didn't pick it up as a series. Yeah, they released the movie well, as a, a made for TV movie, but uh, it would have been cool to see that as a as a as a whole new movie. That that would have been cool. I mean, a whole new series. Yeah, a whole new series, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like Gary Seven. That was a backdoor pilot too. So that would have been cool to see. We don't get everything we want. Darn it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, that's what my son always says. <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, well, you know, because you find out, you get what you need, and you know, mm-hmm. be happy with it. I was happy to see Doctor Solar. Yes, that was a good, you know, my little again, little touches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, there was a phrase that was used when they were talking about the mind control, which I didn't. I just really appreciated this. I don't know why it's it struck me. It's psychic subjugation. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, let's engage in a little psychic subjugation. Just cool. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that, okay, we've got brainwashing going on. We've got disruptor fire. Obviously, some tricky deceits going on. And uh, three security guys are dead. So whoever's doing this, serious people. Yeah. Right. Right. It's obviously the Ferengis because it's (laughs) a Ferengi mind thought maker. (laughs) Right. Right. Gee, who's known for brainwashing people? I didn't think that was the Ferengis, but hey, maybe. Well, yeah. I appreciated the fact that they brought in that device from first season, actually. Oh, was that the uh, first season? 
You know when Picard is a is it got, gets brought back to the Stargazer, and the Ferengi is controlling right. his mind. Right. Well, Ferengi comes back later. They actually pick up that thread way way later in the series, where that same Ferengi has some you know wants to get revenge on him. Um, but you know that was clearly the device that they were using to control people's minds. So yeah, right. again they're, they're tying it little references right. here and there. Right. But like I said, I was still thinking Ferengi last issue, and then this issue it was really driving home the Ferengi thing. Even though they said, you know, it's had some modifications, and, and the modifications match the disks that were found on, on the warp drives. But I was still thinking, oh, this, we're going to see the warrior, clean, warrior Ferengi, which mm-hmm. have all but been erased from Star Trek canon you know because we don't we now only see them as greedy little bumbling guys but uh i was i was getting kind of excited to see you know the light whips and stuff like that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i never even thought about this being frangy but good point about the uh devices yeah all right. Uh, anybody else have anything else? Yeah, not say? not a lot. No, those are my notes. Not a lot happened in this episode, really. Uh, you know? I got a few more things. So go for it. So the bad guys, whoever they may be, did they really think the three ladies would be able to take over the ship? Uh, they almost did it. So sure. Oh, they almost did nothing. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, even if they would have been able to change course, I mean, do you think they would have let it stay on course for wherever they changed it to? No. 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 And are you yeah, suggesting this is because that they were ladies? Not necessarily. Are we having some, we having some gender it, it, issues it, it here? It could have been the three red shirts. I don't care. <laughs> three people. I mean, if it's Data, okay, fine. Okay, Data can take over the ship. I can believe that. But, you know. Uh, not too many. Uh, really. Whoever these people are sending the three people, genderless. It could be genderless. Hmm. Do you really think they're going to be able to take over the ship? Don't think so. Right. Well, these three now have super fighting martial arts skills. Yeah, and Rose a zombie. So, right. Well, good yeah. point. But mm. I, I will say that that when uh, Data was taking, um, trying to control Crusher. Yeah. On page eighty-seven of the graphic novel. Yeah. Um, I thought he was about to do the nerve pinch that he learned from um, Spock. Spock, but yeah. but then I don't think that would fit. Well, yeah, yeah, that I would thought have the same happened. thing. I thought the same thing, but obviously it didn't because then he's just doing like a half a uh, full Nelson on her, you know, wrestling move instead of the nerve pinch. But uh, that would have been interesting because he is the only non-Vulcan to be able to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Now wait a minute. What, when was unification? Was unification before that? It had to have been before. It would have been like fourth or third season, right? No, not third. Um, maybe fourth. I thought it was fifth myself. So well, if it was fifth, then it would be right right around there. We can find out. My vote is four. We have the internet. We can find out on it. Well, while you're looking that up, I did like the Mzadi thing. I, I, Me too. I know it's I know it's kind of cheesy, but I liked that he was able to break the brainwashing by uh, getting the connection. Yeah, yeah. I I I liked it because it was a nice reference, but it did get a little. It was a little. You can almost hear the cheesy music playing. A little drippy. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. You yeah, y- y- you're right about that. But I do like it, too. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. I told you it was cheesy, but I liked it. Yeah, I, I-, I did, too. And I, I always I always hated The Next Generation because of the whole Imzadi thing. So they they still love each other. They still pull this card every once in a while that hey I'm your Imzadi, I'm your I'm your chose you know, we're destined to be together and then both of them are dating other people every other episode. And it just always kind of irked me a little bit that that, that they would try to they played the we're destined to be together card and then the next episode they're you know going out with somebody else sure yeah. and then and then Worf yeah he got thrown into the stake yeah well but yeah, he was with her for a while but in the end they do end up getting back together and I, I could have sworn I had I had heard one of the producers in some interview of some something somebody asked him so okay so come on when is uh, Troy and Riker going to get together and he said never Never. Hmm. And uh, apparently not in the end. Hmm. As they traipse off to Titan. Yeah, I need to read those books. Yeah, me too. Well, according to what I'm looking up on the internet right now, Unification star date was 4523.1. Oh my God. And I this write that down. story, and this story is 45939.6, so that works. And just for those listeners who don't know this, it's pretty well known from Star Trek fans. The star dates in T- TOS mean nothing. They exactly. Just they just go back and forth. But when they got to Next Generation, they did this cool thing where the four, they all, everything in Next Generation begins with a four. It stands for 24th century. And the second numeral is the season in which it was um, made. Cool. And then the next three numbers sort of go up um, as the season goes on, so they're sort of numerically in in its production order. Um, so you know, if you ever want to know what season was that, for example, Unification Part One, Star Date Forty Five Two Three Three means fifth season Forty Five. There you go. You're welcome. I never knew that. Really? That's cool. I never knew that. Uh, that's why you ask me on the show. <laughs> there you go. I never knew that. That's great. I mean, I knew the whole thing about Taws being all over the place, but I didn't realize that uh, that they figured that out. That's cool. Well, it kind of right. falls to hell when they when they you know start Deep Space Nine because Deep Space Nine has to be in sync, so mm. it has to start in forty five, even though it or forty six, even though it's its first season, you know. So they kind of had to go from there, and they're in you know up into the five somethings now. So I, whatever. I mean, it, right. it it was it, it works for Next Generation. Right. I, I liked how they did that, though, because it's kind of like, you know, um, that way you could always tell how many years a certain Voyager episode was as yeah. opposed to the first episode of uh, or this, the last season of Next Generation. Although I can't remember. What did they do when they got to to nine? When it was four nine? What do you mean when they got to nine? Like when like Voyager would have Voyager in the end of Deep Space Nine, Deep Space nine would have right, nine, right. nine so, years after. I think by the time Voyager started, was it in, in the fives? Because, let me see, Deep Space Nine would have started, I think it was the sixth season of Next Generation, right? right? So it would have been 46, 47, 48. I don't know when, when Voyager, what was the, you know, 47. I don't know. We'll have to look. I'll look. We have to go. <laughs> Interesting point. Interesting. 
All right. Well, I'll look that up while you're synopsizing the next one, and we can talk uh, about it in our comments for five. Fair enough. Let's do All it. right. Here we go. All right. Star Trek The Next Generation Intelligence Gathering, issue number five. Um, this particular issue was only given one cover, where all the other ones got three or more. Um, maybe they just stopped caring at this point. I don't know. But the one cover is similar to a particular set and the others, where it has that bar with Picard scowling across the top, through the middle, actually. And in this particular issue, Data is standing as a torso and face of Data, kind of looking confused in the bottom left. So this issue, the, the story, is titled... Disgrace, written by Scott and David Tipton, art by David Messina, art assist by Gianluigi Gregorini, colored by Yaria Traversi, lettered by Chris Mowry, edited by Denton J. Tipton and Andrew Harris. Picard is angry at being deceived and turns the Enterprise towards the destination laid out by their mysterious attackers. He intends to engage in a little subterfuge of his own. They receive a distress call from Brannis of Reet Myers' ruling council. Picard plays along, but is convinced it is a ruse. Brannis tells him that their chancellor has been the victim of an assassination attempt and needs medical attention, which Picard agrees to provide. He presumes Dr. Crusher is the target and sends her with a large security team. Upon arrival, they are ambushed by two Romulans who place a device on Data's back and beam him away. But... Picard is nonplussed, explaining that he expected something like this because of the events on Daystrom 1, in issue 1, and placed a tracking device in Data's arm. Picard, Riker, and Warp beam right to Data's coordinates with the obligatory Riker disapproval of the captain putting himself in danger, and they find Data unharmed and helping the Romulans with their problem. Tomalak is there and explains that it has to do with the ancient Iconians. After their previous encounter, the Romulans searched for more Iconian technology and found a Stargate, sorry, interdimensional machine that led them to their current location. They opened the gate again, creating a rift to a world with a series of monstrous creatures. One got through and killed some of their men. They created a force field but the monsters keep coming, and it is weakening fast. They have three days. Plus, probes show there is another mammoth creature in there. They'd kidnap Data to help them close the rift before it's too late. One of the Romulans claims he knows how to fix this and messes up the force field and lets two of the creatures in who attack them. Mayhem ensues. Worf saves the team by using a shuttle's phasers. The big one appears, and they use the universal translator to decipher its standard, we will conquer you message. But this time, the message is that they intend to consume everyone on the planet to make them part of the whole. Data comes up with a technobabble way to close the rift, but it requires him to be on the other side. Picard says no, and Tomalak bravely offers one of his men to do it. The officer is successful, the rift is closed, but he is, as predicted, munched on by the creatures. Picard dresses Tomalak down for all the subterfuge and the consequences it created and says, next time, why don't you just ask for assistance? 
Riker quotes, Romulans fear disgrace more than death. And Tomalak affirms that he is correct. The end. And he walks away scot-free. Just That's like right. Just issue one. There's exactly. No, no. no. The Romulans can do whatever. Well, yeah. it, 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 is, it is a little unsatisfying. The ending, I think, comes very abruptly. Yes. Uh, and, you know, boom, we're done. Yeah, it didn't feel like it was tied up particularly well. I did like this issue. I like the fact that it had a different tone than the other ones. All of a sudden, it kind of takes a turn into this sort of monster world. And the monsters were very cool looking. I thought they did a good job. The art, whereas I was very critical of the art throughout this issue, I did like the monsters how they were depicted. Yeah, and they made them very serious, very serious monsters. There was. It reminded me a little bit of Event Horizon. Uh, The movie Event Horizon. I remember that. And poor Lawrence Fishburne, Captain whatever his name was. But the good thing about that movie is the alternate dimension that they went to, the hell dimension or whatever, I think Mm -hmm. the movie did a good job of really saying, that's a really bad place to be. That's kind of scary over there. And Mm -hmm. I just, it seemed like they were going for the same kind of um, really genuine evil dimension on the other side of the Stargate. In the book. Yeah, much different than what we're used to seeing with, like, City at the Edge of Forever and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the, the, they, they really wanted you to have a feeling of dread and evil, and the artwork did a pretty good job. Yeah, the artwork, the creatures reminded me of the game Doom. So yeah. in the game Doom, you go to hell at one point, and it, it's kind of like this, too, where it's just... Uh, uh, this crazy world where creatures are walking around and things like that. That was the vibe I was getting. I've never yeah, seen Stargate, point. so I can't, I, can't, uh, I can't say whether Stargate has ever done anything like this or not. Hmm. Uh, I don't think Stargate has. Yeah, I'm not a Stargate. I never really watched Stargate. Saw the movie. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of the Stargate TV series. I don't remember them doing that. But Event mm-hmm. Horizon, that movie did this same kind of thing, I think. Uh-huh. I need to watch that again. That was directed by uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, right? Oh, yeah, really? Did, um, I didn't know that. Mortal Kombat and Resident, uh, yeah, Resident Evil. Alien mm-hmm. vs. Predator, if I'm yeah. remembering right. Interesting. I did not know that. We were talking last issue where they had stellar cryptography which technically we didn't see in this season here we have the romulan scorpion little ship which we don't see until uh, star trek nemesis right here it makes an appearance i thought that was a nice little nod and Worf made good use of it yes i didn't realize that that's what i was actually confused by what was going on there so yeah that helps like i don't know why it's just not really clear he he runs and finds this ship and I don't know. I just didn't think it was really clear in the storytelling. Well, right. They, well, it's only they don't show the whole ship. They only show the cockpit, but you can tell well, that's what it is. From no, they the, show they show it from the back. Yeah. So when they beam down, that first shot when they beam down, the establishing shot, uh, it's there in the foreground. Oh yeah, there it is. But it's black. It it's black, yeah. and it's kind of a dark background, so it doesn't really like jump out at you. Right. Yeah. 
Nice that you figured that out. That's cool. It's a good touch. Well, yeah, I saw it. It's like, oh, yeah, Nemesis. Huh. Okay. So speaking of timeline, in issue number four, we were talking about star dates and how uh-huh. we were wondering what happened when they got to nine. What would they do the next year for Voyager and Deep Space Nine? Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. what they did is they moved it to five. So it yeah, became five zero five one five two five three. Right. But was it really the 25th, it wasn't the 25th century? century? I don't well, think so. I don't think the four necessarily means 24th century. Oh, okay. When they started Next Generation, that was the whole thing. The reason they picked four was right. because of the 24th century. So, it, you know. So they amended it. In, in, within amended within it. the series? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had, they had to do what they did. And I, and, right. But it doesn't yeah. mean that the story then became 25th century. Yeah, I don't think between season one of Next Generation and season, what, three or four of Voyager was a thousand years. Right. <laughs> or a hundred years, sorry. Well, well no, but, but you're in the middle. Could have been. Uh, not, right. I mean, you didn't... I don't remember exactly what year it was supposed to be when uh, Next Gen started. But Right, but what is cool is that with the Kelvin universe, they've, they're keeping with it the same numbering somewhat. For Star Trek, the 2009 movie, it was uh, 2258. So it's that makes perfect sense, yeah. Because it's not two hundred years before the next generation, so the first number doesn't cool. necessarily mean the century, but it makes sense that it's it's well ahead of it. Hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, and and Taz was always supposed to be exactly two hundred years ahead. So the show came on was in nineteen sixty six, and it was supposed, to, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know if that's true. Certainly, when you get to Star Trek Pretty Three, sure it's was. in the twenty-third. Star Trek Two is in the twenty-third century, so we were in the twentieth century then. So Star I Trek. I, 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 Star Trek Two was supposed to happen in year twenty-two eighty-four. That's the twenty-third yeah. century. The first, which is what Ken was saying. That's it, what I'm it saying. Would, it would have meant that twenty-two sixties would have been when they were on their five-year mission. Yeah, that's so, three hundred. So twenty-two. That's that's three hundred years. The nineteen sixties, right? You're right. That's what I always thought it was. It's 300. Yeah, it's 300, Ken, not 200. Blows his mind. No. No. 19, <laughs> 20, 21. 20. Okay, so 2166 20, then. <laughs> yeah, so where no man has gone before was 21, in 2265. 2165, according to Memory Alpha, and yeah. they're never wrong. Okay, fine. Yeah, so. <laughs> twenty one sixty sixty six. Twenty two sixty six. Yeah, I always thought the actual. That's the first thing I said. So okay, fine, whatever. I the main point is the last two digits of the year was exactly X number of years in the future. So the show began in twenty two. It began began in sixty six. I thought it was twenty two sixty six, but whatever. I guess it could have been 2166. But the main point is 66, exactly X hundred yes. number of years later in the future. Never knew that. I always thought it was very vague in the original series. And it wasn't until the films. And, and actually that opening shot of Star Trek II, which is in the 23rd century, when they actually established about when it was. Um, but They didn't establish it when they were talking to um, Gary Seven in that episode? I thought maybe they they said something about it being 
X amount of years in the past. I, I don't remember that, but who knows? Could be. Yeah, regardless, that's the answer to uh, the question we had back then. Cool. Okay. Cool. And moving on. So star dates or <laughs> star dates? Very confusing, but very cool. What they uh, did in <laughs> next gen and forward. There you go. So, what else is there to say about this issue? Um, I don't know. What did you think about the guy sacrificing himself and Tomalock being like, okay, you can do that? I don't know. I thought that was very, was that, like, you know. Was the guy that sacrificed himself also the guy that screwed up on the, uh, the, the shield I don't settings? Know. The guy who screwed up died screwing up. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> fine. Okay. Yeah, because he's like, oh, I'm going to press this button. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that was pretty goobery. <laughs> now, th- th- I would say that the whole sacrifice thing was very Vulcan, where it's like, uh, it's just the logical thing to do is to sacrifice yourself to save everybody else. And yeah, I, I, I liked like, it. But he, he was a centurion, so he mm-hmm. was the older guy. So was it like, you know, in their culture, it was like, oh, you're the old guy, you go. Or something. I don't know. Well, Maybe. I, I, it sounded like Tomalock was going to go himself, and he was like, and I've got this guy over here I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> <laughs> you know? I volunteer him. Yeah, you go. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like um, Dukat, is it Dukat in, in Shrek? You know, some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I just didn't like the uh, the resolution scene pretty quick, and, and I don't like that uh, we don't know what happens to Tomalak. Aside that he comes back in later well, episodes, but... He comes off smelling like a rose because everything's being kept secret now. Right, mm. but how many people died because of his Hogan's Heroes, as you like to point it, uh, <laughs> plan. plan to get... Overly, com- overly this, complex plan. Yeah, and if you had all this going on... This whole plan's taken a while to unfold. And in the meantime, you got monster uh, caterpillar guys on the other side coming across. Right. I don't know. But you just don't want to think too much about it. Come on. (laughs) Enjoy. And this magic beaming thing that they, uh, that the Romulans have that seems to be faster than normal beaming. um, What was all that about? Because she acts like they just appeared and disappeared faster than. A normal transporter beam. Where? What are you talking about? Where is that? Uh, when she, when Data gets kidnapped. She... Oh, okay. That was the last episode, wasn't it? Uh, was it? I thought it was this one. No, it was this one. The beginning of this one, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah you're when... right. You're absolutely right. You're. Right. I'm looking at it now. You're right. I stand corrected. Yeah. So, I mean, what she's talking about is how we would act if somebody teleported, but she. Teleportation is a day-to-day occurrence for her, so how is it different than... How did what they do different than what she does every single day? Yeah, I don't know. And by the way, why did they have to beam down and grab Data? I mean, couldn't they just they beam them up? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, they, were out, they had to put that little shoulder yeah, what, thing what on. Yeah, what is that thing? Oh, yeah, it, I, I didn't did, get that. Did that, like, immobilize Data temporarily or something? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe because he's the exact same expression on his face from one panel to the next. Yeah. Mm. Good point about that device, yeah. though. 
You know, another thing I noticed in this is that Picard is kind of playing along when the guy says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Our chancellor has been, there's been an assassination attempt and we need your medical help. And he's kind of treating the guy, I, I, you get the fence, he's like playing along with the guy and he's thinking, oh, this is part of the ruse, isn't it? Yes, you're, you're totally BSing me right now. But in fact, the chancellor, they did try to assassinate him. And yes, it was part of the ruse, but that guy had nothing to do with it. He was really right. telling him. And so I just felt like that was this weird, like, almost in-your-face Picard because he was just so kind of, I don't know, <laughs> snide about it, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, he could have been right, but uh, he could have been in league. But I guess at the end they made that kind of clear that he really was assassinated or attempt was made. And what did you think about them putting the tracking device in Data's arm? You know, that was kind of a... Stub- Subcutaneous tracking device? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems like a good thing that Data should always have that. But <laughs> Everybody should always have part that. Of his, part of his kid. Give it, give it a couple of years, Donovan. We will. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Don't technically they have that? I mean, how, how is what they injected in him different than the comm badge? Well, Which is the usually their well, magic you, way. Yeah, you can take the comm badge in. off. Yeah, it's, it's just they more permanent. They don't, though. They gave him a non-functional gold one. That's all. <laughs> well, you have, you have a point that it was you know not that big a deal that they could track him, but uh, I don't know. It, again, it was sort of a card like I saw this coming. <laughs> well, know. at the beginning of this issue, it was like, oh my god, or well, when 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 he sent uh, data down with Doctor Crush, it was like, wait a minute. Picard can't possibly be that dumb. Is this part of the plan? Because it just seemed like it was awful dumb. Sending Beverly down there into harm's way and like, oh, yeah, we'll skip Worf. Yeah, you go, Data. (laughs) So it just seemed kind of obvious. And, of course, it turned out to be all part of the plan, but I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I kind of wasn't expecting it, but Mm -hmm. anyway. All right, uh, that's my last comment. Yeah, yeah, I haven't got much else. Well, let's just summarize. What did we think in general of this series? I think it started off a little piecemeal. wasn't I wasn't a fan at first because they weren't connected. But these last three issues, because they all flowed straight into the next one, uh, I enjoyed quite a bit. I would say the, the Tipton brothers did a great job with the storytelling and the references and the. Um, and the again, the story was good, but it's the way the story was told that I really appreciated. Really didn't like the artwork. It kind of took me out of it. You know, it was kind of like, mm. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that's my, in the final analysis, it was okay. And, and I would agree. I thought, why did we get so episodic? And then it, they didn't really pull it all together, kind of, but. Um, no, well, the wharf. The Worf issue in number two never referenced That's again. It, no, no, it, no. That was completely a one-off. Yeah, that was completely right. a one-off. So one, three, four, five, they they went together. Only the two just kind of threw you off a little bit. Yeah, and which one is, which very is kind of cool. Loosely, very loosely uh, ties in. I mean, I guess because well, I have Tomalock. It teased the whole thing but... up. I mean, if you yeah, didn't so... ha- if you didn't have that second one in the middle, it would be like, yeah, that makes perfect. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, sure. You didn't even need that that second issue. Yeah, right? I kept yeah. waiting for Worf to, you know, ign- you know, somehow it would bring back Worf's experience being a uh, ambassador or whatever in that issue. 
I thought that would right. come up in one of these later issues, and it never did. No, you know, but, like, like but you learned was... something from that issue. Yeah. Well, but, and we know in the future, eventually, he does become ambassador. So, right. That was. I, I think we said this in the previous episode. Right. Yeah. Um, that was cool how they did that there. Foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the far future. <laughs> Was this IDW's first venture into the next generation? Oh, um, I don't think so. Was it? Was it that? Maybe. Well, 2008? 2008. Hmm. Mm, and I can look that up. Okay. But. I know it was one of, it, it's an early one. Yeah. Always do shout outs. These are guys that I have sort of met online. Mark Martinez um, has a website called the Star Trek Comic Checklist, which is exhaustive and wonderful and has all of the covers. And... So the uh, Space Between came out in 2007, so that would have been their first Next Generation. Ha. Right. Oh, yeah, there was a couple. Perchance to Dream, The Killing Shadow. Oh, no, it was Wildstorm. No, Sorry. that's Wildstorm. Sorry. I'm off. Yeah, the Space Between is the one. I know. Cool. So I, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I liked it. Just that second issue threw me off, but the, yeah. the rest I enjoyed. And, and something, yeah, that's co- something that's kind of good about that is, you know, maybe not everything doesn't have to f- unfold immediately. So the idea that they right. had a little mission before Tomalak got all of his pieces in place to get data, um, mm-hmm. especially since it's such an elaborate thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he had to get the this device onto the ship and everything, the ships, multiple ships. Um, I don't know. Maybe it makes a little more sense. Or maybe they just wanted to pad it out a bit. Maybe they had this mm. other story sitting there. It's like, hey, how about if we slip that wharf thing right here? All right, let's go. <laughs> Five-parter. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I right. agree with the Brian on the artwork. It, it's At times it was a little off just because of the style, you know. Dwarf yeah, is like three feet taller than anybody else. Oh my god, he's huge! He's massive. I just want to say they all need to like you know relax. Everybody just <laughs> smile. A yeah, there's not there is. I don't think there is a single smile in all five of these issues. And I'm not saying that you know they have to. It, it just seemed overwhelming to just this dark scouring in every frame. After a while, it's like lighten up a little. You know, the right. show is a light show. I mean, yes, it has dark episodes, but even so, I, I don't know. Well, this was serious. This was just serious stuff, man. Well, yeah, man. Stargates, monsters, death, um, Rose zombie. Don't forget Rose about zombie? the. Uh, don't forget about the cloud, the galactic uh, data cloud that uh, <laughs> yeah. has laser beams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. That was. That was. Bizarre. <laughs> All right. All right, okay, guys. Well, if, uh, if nobody else has anything else, then we should close up and uh, start reading what we're going to cover next week, which is the uh, second volume of Star Trek crossing over with the Green Lantern. Very cool. So this continues the storyline we saw before where Green Lantern Corps from another dimension, whatever comes over to Federation space and ends up hanging out. Yeah. The, at least the survivors. Right. Yeah, so I'm curious to see who the, the big bads are um, because they killed most of them. 
<laughs> that were in the first volume. So, yeah. well, Sinestro. I haven't read it yet. Sinestro, mm. gotta be Sinestro, right? Well, yeah, he has to be in it. Yeah. He lived, right? I think he did. Always, always. Cool. So, yep, that's next week, uh, Brian. You're more than welcome to join us. Well, I will. We'll talk. It depends when we'll you're talk. doing it. Cool. All right, cool. I'd love to do it. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.